Well, good morning. Well, welcome to Redemption Parker. Uh, we're excited. We're launching, uh, as we go into fall, we're launching our new series this morning in the book of Exodus, so you can begin to work your way there this morning. This will take us all the way up to Easter, and so uh, maybe you're thinking, why in the world are we studying Exodus for seven months? But hopefully that'll become clear as we move on even in this morning. Um, this summer, as, as you may know, we got to go on sabbatical. We were in Europe. We got to do a lot of cool cultural things, uh, but we got to see some shows. So at the very beginning of our trip, we were in London, and uh, you can't do this in America anywhere, but in London, day of, you can get tickets to Hamilton. So we went and saw Hamilton. It was awesome, and it was awesome to see them make fun of London there in that play. So uh, that was cool. And then the next day, we got tickets to a, a new play, uh, Back to the Future, the musical, which was was amazing, by the way. So if you ever get a chance to see that, you should definitely see that. But towards the end of the trip, uh, we found ourselves in Heidelberg, Germany. And uh, as we were walking around the town, we, we saw advertisements for a concert, for a Dvorak concert uh, that we were we planned to go to. So we bought tickets and, and we went there. Um, any, any classical music people in the house? Okay. I know we got Chris Lazel who teaches all that. We got a few other ones. So here's the deal. Even if you're not a classical music person, you, you probably recognize and understand that there's a depth to that art that... that um, that, that just is, is deeper maybe than any other musical art form, right? Like, like it, it, but, but to get to that, to plumb those depths, uh, it, it takes some work, right? Like, like you, can't, you can't just uh, turn it on for the first time and, and fully experience the, the joy that, that, that can come to that. That takes some study. It takes some repetition. It takes uh, maybe the more you know about music theory and, and how these pieces come together, there, there's just going to be a deeper enjoyment of that, right? We all get that? Well, we go to this concert, and uh, I, I was just—I was struck by the fact that uh, the, just the different people in the room. Now, f- from a physics standpoint, we all heard the same exact sound, right? Like we, we all heard the music, but we all experienced it very differently, right? So, so I—I'm uh, not—I'm uh, not great at music. I, I don't play. Like I guess fourth grade, the recorder—that was the last concert I was a part of. They put me in the back because that's where you put the kids that are like you don't know what you're doing. Uh, so I—I I, I don't really have that. I don't, I don't listen to classical music when I'm trying to study or, or something like that. I haven't been trained in that. I—I I couldn't tell you the difference between. Uh, a Beethoven or Mozart piece like that. But, but I'm there and I'm, I'm here for it. I've lived in Europe. I've gone to the symphony several times. And, and so I'm, I'm taking it in. Uh, but then there was another group because it was a hot night in July and Europeans don't believe in air conditioning. And so they, uh, they had opened up the side doors of the church and uh, the church just started wandering in throughout the whole concert. And they would come in and they would stand for a few minutes and they would take it in and, uh, and then they would leave. So that was a kind of experience with the symphony there. Uh, others would come in and these got on my nerves. They, they would come in to the side and they would just sit down. And I'm like, I'm now distracted by them like hey we all paid at the front and we, we came in here and you're just going to amble in and halfway through the, the, the symphony and, and sit down like I was just irritated so that was my experience with it um, and, and then there's others in the crowd that were clearly there for it right like they're Europeans. They're, they've been trained in this. They've, they, they, they got there early. They, they got the perfect seat to, for the acoustics and to see the director and uh, conduct. Is a director, conductor, Chris? Would, uh, okay, thank you. Um, 
he's taught my daughter some things about music, so that's why we're all, we're all here for it. So uh, they're they're there, and, and they're you could see it on their face, like they're they're here, they're anticipating the next song and and how it's going to flow, and and at, when when it was over, the standing ovation just for you know we all have to do that, but I'm standing up and I'm like okay, uh, but they're just rolling with it, like apparently this was pretty good, and so we're I'm going longer, and I'm like how long do we have to do this for? Uh, but but they're taking it in. They're loving it. Of course, the experience of the actual musicians and the director, conductor, that, that's a, a different level of appreciation and experience with it. Again, same thing, but deeper. Um, when it was over and the long uh, applause was, were done, my, my daughters who, who have been trained a little bit, they, they, they do choir, they, they do play some instruments, they, uh, they're smiling, they're, they turn to me and they say, Dad, that was so good. D- did you like it? And I was like, yeah, it was cool. And uh, they're like, no, did you, did you hear it? I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I heard the whole, I heard what you heard. They're like, no, no, no. Did you hear how uh, they, they started and ended each song with the same, uh, I don't know if it's notes or chords, but th- same three chords and notes. I was like, I did not pick up on that <laughs> at all. They're like, no, it was so cool because even though all the songs were, were different and all the songs are, were kind of going somewhere, it tied it together with these same three notes. And I was like, wow, that's cool. Well, if you can understand that there's a, a different level of experience in knowledge and experience and history and investment in, in a thing like the symphony, you should be able to understand that's true in a lot of areas of life. And for our purposes, that, that's true in our, our, our relationship, for example, with God. That's true in our relationship with one another, right? So, it's, so, so Redemption Parker is a different place for different people. If you're just visiting here, you're going to hear the same thing, but it's going to be a, just a, a different experience. If you only come on Sunday mornings, that's a, a different kind of church than if you come and you get plugged into a gospel community. That's a different experience. It's a different experience. It's a different church if you come and get plugged in and become a covenant member and lay your life down and you serve one another. That's just a different church. Same is true with the Word of God, Right? If you only encounter this book, say through uh, the pre- my preaching half an hour on a Sunday, uh, that's the only time you kind of have experience. Like that's, you're going to hear the same sermon, but it's going to be a different experience with the sermon. Or if you only come to the Bible uh, through like a, a, a Bible promises booklet where it's ripped verses out of context to kind of apply, misapply to your life here and there, that's going to be a different experience with the word of God. N.T. Wright says that so often we, it's like we go to the symphony uh, and say, imagine you go to the symphony and they're playing Beethoven's fifth and after 10 bars, the, the conductor turns around and says, that's all for today, guys. Uh, come back next week, same time, and we're going to do the next 10 bars. You'd be like, wait, what? No, no, there, there, there's, a, there's, there's something going on. There's a narrative arc. Same thing with the Bible. It's, it's not always meant to just be parsed by word or by verse, but there is, there is something happening throughout the whole scripture. And we're going to see in the book of Exodus, there is an arc happening that, that a symphony is being played. This morning, I want us to kind of enter into the symphony of Exodus just a bit. 
Meaning we're going uh, to have some readers come up here and read chunks of this so that we can start to hear an overview. Now, of course, we don't have time to go through uh, all the chapters of Exodus, but, but, but there are some, just like in that symphony of Dvorak, there are some notes that get played over and over and over and over again in the book of Exodus that get louder and louder and louder through the rest of the Old Testament. And then they crescendo in the person and the work, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and then they flow down to us. And so Exodus is our story. Exodus is so foundational to our understanding of God. So again, you might be here saying, man, I was really hoping for a series on, uh, on marriage. I was hoping for a series on finances or dealing with doubt or my addiction or, or my anxiety. And I just want to say this, that Exodus is going to give us a, a bigger, better picture of ultimate reality of who God is that's going to undergird and speak to all of those issues. See, it's a paltry view of God that says he's only here to meet uh, specific issues at specific times. But if we see God as God, specifically as it begins to be displayed to us throughout the book of Exodus and throughout the rest of the Old and New Testament, I I think it will speak to us on a deeper level. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have four readers come up here, and it's going to be a little bit active for you. They're going to read large chunks. And and, and as they read, uh, when they get to the end... (coughs) They're going to say into the microphone, this is the word of the Lord. And you're going to say, thanks be to God. There you go. So let's practice it one time. Say, I was reading, this is the word of the Lord. There you go. So it's just training ourselves to to respond to the word of God. Now there's going to be uh, five, five notes that get played throughout the book of Exodus at different volumes and different ways. Uh, but, but I want to look at those notes this morning. Um, the first two are going to come out in our first passage. I'm going to invite uh, Tricia to come up here and read Exodus chapter 1 and 2. I'll stand off to the side, and then there's a mic right here. Then I'll kind of talk about the theme and make a narrative bridge, and we'll go on. So listen carefully. The Word of God is going to be read over us. Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Ban, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shiphrim and Pua, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. 
but if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Chapter 2 Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Deruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave him his daughter Zipporah in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. 
The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God, hearing their groaning, and he, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tricia. So the first kind of notes that start to get played in the book of Exodus that get louder and louder throughout the Bible and find themselves in Jesus is, first of all, just the, the idea that God's presence is with his people and that God keeps his promises to his people. So two things. We'll put them up on the screen. So God's presence and God's promises. We see here in what is uh, really a dark season of life for the people of God for, for a long time that, that maybe they feel like God has abandoned them. They feel like they are on their own. We see even at the end there, that their cries are going up to God, and it says God heard them. God sees. God knows. So God's, God is present. So uh, imagine, again, with each one of these themes, we, we should be asking the question for ourselves, well, what would it look like in my life if, if this really found it at root in the soil of my heart? That, that if I really believed I wasn't alone, that no matter wh- wh- whether I was on the mountaintop or in the valley of the shadow of death, that God was with me. Because we've all had experience or will have experiences in life where we feel very alone. And, and it can be dark times, but, but, but Exodus reminds us that God sees, God hears, he's present. And then the other thing we see is God's promises, that he keeps his promises. All the way back into Genesis chapter 3, on to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, uh, there, there are some promises that God begins to make, saying, I'm going to uh, redeem uh, my people, I'm going to bring people back into the new Eden, uh, but but, but, but they're wondering how that's going to happen. But God is a promise-keeping God, and it's starting to roll out. And that, that gets uh, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Again, what would you, what would you, how would you live differently? How, how might this change you if you truly believe that God keeps his promises and he cannot do anything else? Because his promise to you, if you're in Christ, is that he will never leave you or forsake you. His promise to you is that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So his promises and his presence are here. Now, from here, uh, Moses is, spends 40 years in the desert. He thinks his life is over. I wonder if he ponders back in the days of Pharaoh's palace. But now he's becoming an old man. And one day there's a bush that's burning and he turns to the side. And as he turns to the side, he hears the voice of God. And God first warns him, don't come too close. This is a different theme that's going to be played throughout the book of Exodus. Basically, God is holy. We are not. And our worship is not whatever we want it to be. Uh, It is what he determines it to be. But nevertheless, Moses come near and and God says to Moses, I've heard the groans of my people. I I hear their cries. I see. I'm going to send you to set them free. And Moses is like, "Uh, okay, um, if I go and I say the God of our fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has has come to us, then then, then what what will I say? Who will I say sent me? Because who am I, Lord? He says, well, you will say, I am who I am sent you. And, and in that 
revelation of the divine name, especially in that time. The name represents the character, represents the, the nature of the person. So, so God is revealing his name, not just to Moses and not just to his people. God is revealing his name to the nation so that the book of Exodus begins to be a, a missionary handbook. It's God going on display for his glory to the world, saying there are no other gods. All the other gods are false gods. There is one true God in the universe. I am who I am. Tell him I am sent you. At this point, uh, you'd think that would be enough if, if you talked with God and that, but, but Moses is actually kind of bold in this. Uh, he, he's like, well, uh, I don't speak well, or, or maybe today's term, maybe it's, I, I don't speak so good. And God's just like, Moses, who made your mouth? And, and he's like, yeah, but, and then, th- then he says, but please send someone else. And at this point, God gets angry at Moses. One of many times uh, with Moses and the people of God. And that should comfort us because even though he gets angry with Moses and he is going to get angry with the people of God, he's still a promise-keeping God. He's still going to accomplish his purposes. And so uh, Moses is like, all right. Uh, and, and God's like, fine, you can, I'll send Aaron with you. Aaron, he can speak better than you but you're going to go together. You're going to tell, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so they go to Egypt and they go to Pharaoh and they're like, the God of the Israelites say, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, who? Like, I've never heard of that God. In fact, I, I'm going to double down. I'm going to make it harder on them. I'm going to double their, their, their quota. I'm going to take away their straw and their brick making so it is more painful for them. And the people of God, the Israelites, are like, Whoa, who is Moses and why, is he, why has he done this to us? And Moses then cries out to God, Lord, why did you do this evil? It's worse now than when you first sent me. And that's going to bring us up to the next reader. Aaron's going to read Exodus 6, 1 through 13 for us. And we'll see the next theme that gets played out in the book of Exodus. Exodus 6, 1 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. (coughs) I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. (coughs) Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltering lips. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Aaron. So the first two were God's presence and his promises, the first two notes that were being played. And and here we see the note that is uh, most associated with this book, the note of liberation, the note of deliverance, that God brings deliverance. Now, this is important for us because uh, in our day, outside these walls, but even in the church, there is this idea that a life fully surrendered to God is somehow repressive. So somehow God is holding out on us if we just really give ourselves to him. Somehow his, his commands and his laws are, are not for our joy and our flourishing and our thriving, but to hold us back. But, but, but Exodus is all about deliverance, freedom. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so uh, this, this theme of, of God being a deliverer resounds throughout the rest of, of the book of, of Exodus into Old Testament, ultimately again into Jesus and throughout history. If you're a, a student of history, God's people, whenever there's been oppression or bondage, they've constantly turned to this book and constantly turned to the refrain, let my people go. So whether it's the, the Puritans in England or the civil rights movement that they see this as a God who is a deliverer. He uh, is a God of liberation. So, so from here, the story is going to roll out uh, through a series of plagues. And the plagues uh, will be fun to preach on. They're, they're very significant. Each one of them uh, is dealing with uh, a false God of the Egyptians. And so just constantly uh, a plague will come out. Uh, for example, the first one, uh, they uh, turned the, the, the river Nile into blood. That was a, a life source for the people. They, uh, Moses turns it into blood. And then Pharaoh gets his magicians, and you would think if they were good magicians, they would turn it back to water. But they're like, hey, uh, we, we've got some water too, and we'll, the, 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 the little bit of clean water that we have, we're going to turn into blood too. And so they're like, pow. And they're like, great, now everything's blood. Um, but, but this just starts to roll out, and there's frogs, and there's gnats, and there's, uh, there, there's livestock dying, there's hail, there's boils, there's, there's all sorts of things. The number nine well, was kind of the most uh, significant up until this point nine was uh, the, the, the Egyptians worshiped the sun god Ra and God just says, all right, it's going to be dark for a few days. How's that for your powerful God? And it's just dark. And, and in this thing, we just see Pharaoh's heart getting harder and harder and harder. And, and before the 10th plague, Moses warns him, he says, look, if you don't let my people go, if you don't relent, if you don't repent, all the firstborn in Egypt are going to die. And so, uh, from there, we pick it up. Michaela's going to come read to us part of Exodus 12. Exodus 12. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top in both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame, and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, 
It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded, Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of the, all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. The people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. The dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Now this note is, is perhaps the most important note for us, and it's the idea that redemption comes through the sacrifice of another. So it's not just any sacrifice, but the sacrifice of, of another. That, that our right standing before God has nothing to do with our performance, our moral behavior, our, uh, our following of the law. It has everything to do with the grace and mercy of God. And so in the Passover, did you notice that the Israelites, they, weren't, that they didn't just get passed over for the sake of being Israelites. They got passed over because they had the blood of the sacrifice of another. They were guilty before a holy God. That there was nothing awesome about the Israelites. It was surely the grace and mercy of God. And, and in the grace and mercy of God, it's this picture, this note that gets to be played, that, that there is a sacrifice of another that comes for us and to us. And so this, of course, rolls off into the rest of the Old Testament and the whole sacrificial system that will be installed. And then eventually into Jesus, who John calls the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So, so that we, as the people of God, don't look to ourselves for salvation. Don't look to ourselves for righteousness. We look wholly and completely to the righteousness of another. We look to the lamb on the cross who took away our sins. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. The sacrifice of another. And again, this flows all the way down to us. But, but this central truth is the truth of the gospel. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we find redemption. 
Now, now if, you, if you haven't yet found that, that, that would be the invita- invitation today to look to Jesus and receive his grace and mercy alone. But even if you have, how might you live differently if this note just resounded in your heart and your mind? If you really believed you could stop striving, if you really believed that you could stop performing, if you really believed that you are well-loved and accepted and pleasing in God's sight because of what Jesus has given you. It would bring rest, it would bring, bring peace, it would bring hope into our lives. So from here, God begins to give his people specific instructions about how to do life and remember his work and his presence among them. Uh, when, when you're in slavery for 430 years, you, you've got no distinct culture anymore. You, you don't have anything of your own. And God begins to give them ceremonies and, and laws and, and ways to live together so that they might be a light to the nations. Again, Exodus is meant to be a missionary handbook. That these laws and these ceremonies were meant to, to be a community of, of love in one another so that the world would look on and see, I want some of that. And we roll into the New Testament. You hear about these people called God-fearers. There, there's these pagans, these Gentiles, who something in their heart, God is drawing them to them. And they're looking at the people of Israel and they're looking at their sacrifices and they're looking at their law and they're saying, there's something to that God. I want some of that. We see, uh, for example, in, in the book of Acts, Lydia of Philippi, she's a God-fearer and, and, and she's just prime and ready so, so that, the, the, that the people of God, just the, the life together, should, should be a testimony to the world and should be drawing people in to God's love. Finally, we come to the last passage. It's Exodus chapter 14. Andy Brick's going to read that to us. This is Exodus chapter 14. And the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahirah, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahirah, opposite baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians, you see today, will never be seen again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go over the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will come after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army through the chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. The Isra and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, the servant. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So this last theme that gets played over and over, this note, this chord, it is the power of God, that God is powerful. His arm is not too short to save. He is able to uh, overcome anything. And so he's, he's controlling the weather. He's controlling uh, sickness. He gives and takes it away. He, he's controlling the sea. Uh, and what, what you're going to see throughout the rest of Exodus and into the Psalms and into the prophets and into the life of Jesus is they're going to constantly point back to this event to say, when, when everything's seems lost, when there seems like there's no hope, God is able. He's powerful. And now you start to see all of these themes. The, all five of them come up. We'll put those on the screen. God's presence, God's promise, God's deliverance, God's sacrifice through the redemption of another, and God's power start to weave together and create this beautiful symphony throughout Exodus and get louder and louder all the way to Jesus. And so uh, there are a couple questions as we close out our time here this morning that we should ask is, um, where do you need God to meet you at right now? 
Like, like don't just have the word of God off at a distance, but, but in these five things, where, where is it that maybe you're, you're jammed up, you're stuck, you're, you're struggling? Is it, is it you're just in a season of life and you feel alone and, and you just need to know and be reminded that God is with you? Is it that uh, you, you don't really know if you believe that God is for you? You don't really know that he's really uh, gonna fulfill his promises. Maybe you just need to meditate and remember those. Again, uh, the people of God have to remember these things. There's, there's practices that are going to be instilled in the book of Exodus and, and into the New Testament. And in a few moments, we're going to come to one of those practices that point to all these things to be reminded that God is for us. He keeps his promises, that, that you need to be delivered. Maybe, maybe you've, you've been rescued and redeemed, but you still just feel in bondage to, to a, a sin or an addiction or stress or anxiety. And that's the theme that you're just asking God to really speak into your life. Or maybe uh, you're in a situation in life where you, you, it seems like there's no way out. It seems like there's no hope in this situation. Maybe you just need to be reminded that God is able. He is powerful. He delights to deliver. So, so that's the first one. Where do you need God to meet you at in this series? And the, secondly, if this does really flow throughout the uh, book of Exodus into the New Testament, through the life of Jesus, down through the church and into Redemption Parker, uh, we, we should ask ourselves the question, where are we at in the story? Where are we at in the story? If you've never trusted in Jesus, turned from sin, then the Bible says that you are still very much a slave to sin and death. And today you can experience liberation by grace through faith. But again, uh, maybe, again, you're just stuck, you're jammed up. We're going to see one, one of the things that should encourage us uh, throughout the book is just the, the people of God are... The, they're awkward. They're, uh, they're, they're faithless so often. Like, like they're not even out of Egypt yet. And they're like, we want to go back. We, we want to go back to that slavery. We want to go back to having our, our, our wives and daughters mistreated. And, and you, you just want to say, are you dumb? Are, are, are you seriously? But, but, um, but then you just realize, man, we, sometimes we're, we're just like that. And so we just need that constant reminder and renewal to these notes in the symphony of God to be played in our lives and our ears and find ourselves in the story so that God can lead us. So in a minute, we're going to come to this table and we're going to be reminded of all these things, that God is with us, Jesus is Emmanuel, that God keeps his promises, that covenants all pointed to the moment of Jesus on the cross, that God is a delivering God. He delivers us by the cross, that God's sacrifice for us is the only sacrifice sufficient to cover our sin. And God is able to make dead people alive to bring us into his kingdom forever. So with that, let me pray for us and I'll lead us into that spot. So Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be good students of the, the melody of your grace in our lives. The symphony of, of your redemption, your deliverance, your power, your presence. Lord, all these things that they might just find a deeper root in our hearts and our minds and our lives as we study and go together in your word, this series. Lord, I pray for, for all of us, Lord. There, there are different ways where we stumble and struggle and doubt and have anxiety and addicted, all these things. Lord, we need, we need you to meet us in this series. We need you to meet us today, even in this table. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.